of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Good to be with you again, friends, as we dive into quite the franchise. Uh, it's 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 come and it's gone, and it's tried its different things, and it's been uh, reimagined, redone, and so we are talking about uh, just, I'm going to call it the Hannibal Lecter franchise. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Um, obviously, it opens... That doesn't actually technically no, it doesn't open with uh, uh, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Sorry, we've been talking about how we're going to cover this, but really, uh, just to give you a heads up here, the reason we do start with Silence of the Lambs, which we're going to do here in a minute, is because that's really what introduced the world to Hannibal Lecter. Now we know, we know, <laughs> Manhunter. I, I, I can hear Twitter typing actually. already. Yeah, we know the Manhunter came over, but really, I mean. Manhunter wasn't up for any Oscars, <laughs> right? So even worth aside, it w- it was a cult film. Yeah, it didn't catch on until much later, and it really no one was even talking about it until Red Dragon came out. Yeah, no one was talking about it. So that's when I remember seeing it at the video store, is they were putting it pair- pairing it, if you will, with Red Dragon, saying, "No, this is where the Hannibal story started." And I, was, like, I was working at Walmart in the electronics department, and I remember the DVD coming out at that time not quite a mockbuster, but yeah. the same effort was put forth sure sure so um you guys's history with the hannibal franchise um the the first one that we'll talk about silence of the lambs um it's it's remained as thrilling and and fantastic and a whole meal of a movie as it's been since back then uh, it's just it's everything that it that you heard the hype about, and to me at least, um, and as a true crime guy, mm-hmm. it, it it's always remained towards the top in terms of of how, its approach and kind of really holding on to the bleakness and in the reality of those cases. Um, and then it's been an interesting ride from there, both in retroactively discovering the earlier movie we're talking about, and then some of the interesting efforts that followed from there that yeah. weren't complete cash grabs, but We'll get into it. There's some interesting highs and lows. Sure. Sure. Until preparation for this, I had only seen Silence of the Lambs in its entirety. Wow. I had seen... Oh, so this is probably an interesting experience. I had seen pieces of Hannibal, and I had seen very little of Red Dragon. Everything else was brand new to me. Wow. Interesting. Um... This was one that my mom likes to tease me about because, for some reason, just even the trailers of Silence of the Lambs freaked me out as a kid. Pussy. <laughs> uh, I did not see this until later in life. Um, so I had only seen Silence of the Lambs prior to covering this, prior to preparing for this. Uh, Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, 
and the Hannibal TV series. I had never seen Hannibal, Manhunter, or Hannibal. Oh, wait. Oh, God. Yeah, I did. I watched Hannibal Rising when it came out, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I had seen it, but I tried to delete it from my brain. (laughs) Spoiler alert on takes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think I'd seen all of these, but Silence of the Lambs, I've I've watched it an embarrassing amount of times. I have seen (laughs) Silence of the Lambs. I really can't tell you how many times. I remember seeing it when I was... What year did it come out? 91? Yes. So I would have been... I didn't see it in a theater, obviously. I did see it when it came out on video. So I was young. I was probably middle school. And back when I had regular cable, uh, if I'd be scrolling through the channels and I would see Silence of the Lambs was on, I would stop every single time it was on. Mm -hmm. Wherever it was in the movie... Stop and watch the rest of it. Wow, it's just one of those for me. Now I just I don't have that relationship with it. Uh, Get out! <laughs> yeah, you're off the show. I like it. Um, I even have a Silence of the Lamb toboggan that Todd gave me, um, but I like it. It's just I, I guess I did not see it early enough to develop that that obsession and, and nostalgia for it. Yeah, and there's just something inherently rewatchable about it before we get into the actual movie. But it's one of those movies where I could walk in at any point in the movie yes. and go, I-, I need to just watch the rest yep. of this. Yep. Like, it's just engrossing to me. And that being said, I had never seen any of the sequels after that. Having that relationship with that movie. Wow. But never watched any of the other ones. Yeah. Word of mouth was never that strong for, for stuff after that. <laughs> so I can see why a younger person would go, eh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Shall we begin? Yes. With, we know. We know. We're not doing Manhunter first. <laughs> We're doing Silence of the Lambs. So, please, Professor. Uh, Silence of the Lambs came out in 1991, directed by the late, great Jonathan Demme. Uh, it was taken from the novel by Thomas Harris, uh, starring Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Ted Levine, Scott Glenn, and Brooke Smith. Those are our main players in that. Uh, and then just one more thing, and maybe we'll touch on it, but a standout is the score. Uh, by Howard Shore, who frequently did stuff for Cronenberg as well. Uh, but the music in this is just haunting. Yeah. Well, two things stand out about this film. It's that, and it's Ted Levine. Well, yeah. <laughs> or what he tucks back. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for me, when I think Silence of the Lambs, I think more Ted Levine than I do Hannibal Lecter, honestly. I think we might be getting into some psychology here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you hurt her. <laughs> uh, dear listeners, I would like to also point out that uh, early on we realized that Grizz had watched this movie one time and had every line of Buffalo Bill memorized. <laughs> That's a true story. He'd just <laughs> rattle complete scenes off, and we'd ask him, like, how many times have you watched this movie? Once. <laughs> what? One one viewing, and I had all of Buffalo Bill's dialogue Captivated, memorized. I believe, yeah. is what we would say you were. I think it's his vocal delivery. There's something about that actor that I'm, I'm always just fascinated when he's in a film. Yeah. Just, the way he talks. You know, like, I don't, and, and I'm not making fun of it if it's an impediment. Like, it just his vocal delivery is very unique to me. It's, oh, almost, yeah. it's almost like uh, ASMR, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and like, listen to Mick Garris talk. When you listen to Mick Garris talk on a podcast, there's just something really weird. Yeah, his own cadence and yes. pitch to it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Ted Levine's one of a kind. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> Wait. Um, so, anybody want to do a quick setup or you want me to do it? Doesn't matter. Whoever. I mean, uh, so we find Jodie Foster, uh, who is 
new in the FBI? She's not a full agent yet, is she? Yeah, she hasn't even went through graduation yet. Okay. She's yeah. an up-and-comer. So, but they, they they know something special about her. They're trying to, uh, they want to get her on this Buffalo Bill case, this case of these young girls going missing. Um, that's, it's really the setup, right? And she has a <laughs> That's rela- it. The, on to the next movie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I mean, also too, um, she decides to talk to Hannibal Lecter about it because she thinks Hannibal Lecter would have some insight. Or oh, she's put up to that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so part of the reason they do this is her demeanor and her lack of experience because Lecter's character is put off by the conniving ex- expert kind of interviews uh, that you'll get from detectives and out of Quantico. So you got the great open there with her jogging the, the course that she's got to get through and you got those those bright white letters over the bleak sky there mm-hmm. and it's just it sets the tone and they bring her in and Scott Glenn who plays Jack Crawford another great actor yeah it's just credit. he's basically running down the situation of why she needs to go do it and it's interesting too with the rewatch because you realize that he knows the magnitude but he's not fully making her understand that so that she'll be better yeah and so he's kind of just giving her just enough to know what she needs um but it, it evolves into these back and forth visits with her going to interview him, and and we'll go through this, I'm sure, ad nauseum. But Lecter was a psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever, so he's good at shrinking people down. On top of being absolutely batshit crazy, yeah. And so there's these great shots uh, and and scenes and a set piece for that matter with his weird dungeon cell that he's in, uh, where she goes down because we've got this case that they, they can't get any traction with, and they're trying to get his insight. And so just to get this out of the way, because you know I have to bring it up, I think I mentioned on the Ted Bundy episode, the basis, the large basis for this was Keppel flying down to Florida, trying to catch the Green River Killer after Bundy had been apprehended mm-hmm. to interview him in prison over and over and over again. He ended up being right. It didn't help catch him. Yeah. They caught him long after Bundy had been executed. But that's part of what inspired the okay. whole structure of Harris's story is going to interview a real-life serial killer to try and get inside the mindset of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's really the interesting setup for the case. And then you have that dueling with a serial killer. Which, which is, I heard he Hopkins would, did the same thing to prepare for the role, going and interviewing with serial killers in prisons. Is that a sheep? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. And then, yeah. Well, I was going to say, too, but that's also a basis for a, a show, Mindhunter, mm-hmm. which was truly what they did, uh, the FBI started doing back in the 60s, is interviewing some of those serial killers to try and find out how they could better catch them in the future. Yeah. I was li- briefly today listening to an interview with uh, Anthony Hopkins about his performance as Lecter. And uh, two interesting things I found was, one, uh, it was his choice to have that first reveal of Lecter, to have him standing in the middle of the room at attention. Because they said, do you want to be laying down? Do you want to be in a bed? He's like, no, I think I'd like to be, I think I want to be standing in the middle of the room, like at attention. It's an unforgettable shot. <clears throat> and they it's tried chilling. it. They tried it out and they said, yep, that's the one. You're right. You were right. Uh, he said that he just found having him collected and uh, esteemed, you know, that, 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 uh, 
you can see that he's refined just by his posture when you walk up and collected and cool. It's that, and it also reminds me of a kid that like his mother just got him ready for Easter Sunday. <laughs> like he's he's there, his 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 clothes look really you know well in tuned, and his hair is combed back. Like and he's like, I'm not going to mess it up, <laughs> you know. Like <laughs> I, I'm just going to be ready to do look good. And he said that that, that exchange where he dresses Clarice down. Where he's like, and, and your cheap bag, and oh, your yeah. hand-me-down shoot. He said that he hinged his entire performance off of that bit of dialogue there. That that right there set the tone for him for everything else that the Lecter character was. Hmm. And a lot of times I think this is apocryphal, just horse shit when they say it. But in this instance, Jodie Foster really didn't know that was coming. And she's visibly upset. And he uh, he even said, to her credit... He said, when you look at her face after he says that, he said, you can see every emotion go through her mind on her face before she responds. And he said, I just think that was an absolutely brilliant piece of acting. Yeah. And from a young age, I really did used to just out of nowhere say to friends when they have an opinion that I disagreed with, I'd say, I think it's just nothing but a generation or two away from poor white trash. <laughs> <clears throat> But you still tell me that when I yes, disagree with yeah, film. I love throwing that out there. But yeah, the, the, it's such a wham bam opening to this movie with the introduction we talked about at Quantico. That first visit, and um, when they're when she's basically rushing out of there, when it's kind of falling apart, he still gives the hint, which is kind of a reach that she would figure it out. Your self storage uh, is where it leads her, and then she finds the head in the jar, and it kind of results back in a second visit. And you set up this interesting pattern where you're like, "Ooh, this is juicy." We're going to keep going back and forth with this kind of cat and mouse, even though he's locked up in here. And then we end up in Memphis with Buffalo Bill for the first time as we've kind of learned about the victims in the case, which kind of makes it chilling ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And then you see it in action. And it's really, it's, I mean, it's memorable when he gets the girl to help. Also, dead based off of Bundy. Ted Bundy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Faking with the the, the knee and the cast. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, it's so creepy when he has her get into the van first, helping lift the, the couch, and then you just hear, what size are you? Yeah. Oof. Oof. You know it's coming. It's still chilling. Yeah, big time. Um, but I want to say right after that, one of the most important elements of this film that is never going to be thought of as that is the funeral home in West Virginia. I think that's really where it it digs its heels into true crime and the reality of it mm-hmm. and yeah. the loss and the unpleasant nature of all of these things uh, when they're right in front of you. Because it's one thing to watch forensic files or 48 hours on TV. It's different when you're in the community where everyone's heart is broken. And again, every shot is like just gray bleakness in this movie. Oh, yeah. it's, it's It just encapsulates all that. But I think that... Um, where she really starts to grow as a young star is the way she's handling that. She's in a room full of men, local, tells basically, and this is it, get that out. scene, too, where she's left alone with all of the male police officers, mm-hmm. and she's just this very small woman in com- contrast to them. You can feel the discomfort in that scene just from a visual standpoint. And I, th- this movie's just so well made. Can I tell you that I take issue with her southern accent? With good reason. I think it, I think it bothers quite a few people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other than that, she's great. But yeah, that, that accent. Yeah, at least she didn't do Nell. 
<laughs> you are the second person to make that joke since I told him that. <laughs> Within two I have weeks. to. I have to. Oh, goodness. Um, let me tell you something that a lot of people take issue with is for how well Anthony Hopkins did this film and he mispronounced Chianti. Yeah. A lot of people get very <laughs> bent out of shape about that. <laughs> They're worse than him. <laughs> Any uh, anything else we want to we want to hit before we ramp it up? Yeah, um, just I think it's interesting when during that autopsy we find the insect in the throat that leads her to the very memorable insect guys. Yes, um, love those guys. At one point when she's like, "Are you hitting on me?" <laughs> like, well, yes. Oh, yeah. um, and then the uh, very memorable scene with um, the Catherine girl that was kidnapped, uh, her mother that's the senator, meets him at the, the airport to get information, and he's just screwing around to get out and give her a hard time. Um, yeah. But, yeah, which the, the one of the only things in the movie I really don't like is when he says the love the suit to her. It's like, is this like a diehard line? Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> But that, that's a really interesting and upsetting scene where he screws with her just for fun. Yeah. He's talking about toughening the nipples. and um, But, yeah, then we, we have Which another visit. Kind of reminiscent of the true crime case we just covered with um, uh, the chicken farm murders and how he keeps having them oh, yeah. come back and he's just... Yeah, just agonizing her. Yeah. No, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. But then we get... Uh, we have the visits, obviously, but then the lotion in the basket and that whole sequence. I, the thing that I always always find very interesting is how Lecter is in this cell where you know he you have to hand him push things through a cabinet like there's all these precautions he's behind plexiglass very meager belongings in an institution but every minute that he's on screen you feel it all the characters feel it Lecter is in control oh yeah even though he is caged and everything else, Lecter is in control every moment that he's on the screen. Oh, yeah. They won't make a single loose movement around him because he's so dangerous. Uh, of course, a part that's going to stand out to me is that when when Clarice tells the story about the lambs. Yes. And then she runs away from her. She says, my aunt and uncle, they were great folks. Like, it's not on them. You know, I was a kid who went through traumatic stuff. And after I ran away, they sent me to a Lutheran orphanage in Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> and I was like, hey, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, but that, yeah. I think maybe that's funny. where that muddled accent comes from, Robert. <laughs> maybe the Lutherans tried to have her unlearn. Maybe, maybe it, yeah, she, she picks up another accent from another state <laughs> and then tries to hide those accents. Maybe. And then you end up with her... Uh, what do they call it? the Amish call the Dutch that they speak slop, oh, bucket. slop bucket Dutch. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Slop bucket southern. Sounds accent. like it's illegal in thirteen states. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can tell the difference between me when I speak in front of a crowd of people and me after I've had a few beers. <laughs> the way my accent changes, you know. Um, yeah. Then we get to speaking of cages. They take him from this Professor Xavier Magneto cage. <laughs> And then they put him in one that was the one you used to see lions in at the local zoo. It looks like uh, they're getting ready for a hell in the cell. <laughs> it looks like a wrestling ring with a fucking cage around it. I assume you guys noticed one of the, the people escorting around in there. Mr. George Romero with his walkie-talkie. No! 
Yes. That cage is in Pittsburgh. That building is. And they, well, so is Buffalo Bill's house. I mean, okay. it's not set there in the movie, but they filmed a ton around there. And so, for fun, he's got Romero in there as one of the guys escorting nice. around. But it's they've it's supposed to be in Memphis, and it's this kind of bizarre set design. Yeah. Um, but it it's also like, is serviced by his field trip to speak to the senator, and that's why we've got him there. And um, which building on that reference of it looking like a wrestling match, like wrestling cage, it looks like it's in an old UAW hall. Oh yeah, where they would be having a grungy wrestling. Uh, match. Yeah, a fucking uh, outlaw mud show. <laughs> Jim Cornette would say. <laughs> So, boy, it's it it. Well, we didn't. We kind of glanced over it. Puts the lotion. Yeah, know. real quick. We really start to look into the madness that is occurring with this serial killer, and that he has got this character that we watched be kidnapped. He abducted her with the van. He's now got her down in a well, and he is basically conditioning her skin. He is wanting to get skin from the victims, and we're piecing that together before. Starving them out a little bit so the skin's loose. Yeah, and so you're really starting to see the depravity that is occurring there, which it's an interesting pathway that we're used to now more in storytelling, but it was a much more engrossing vehicle back then. I mean, we get to a point where this character is replicated in Joe Dirt. Right. You know what I mean? All right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Just give me my auto trader, man. I love that he wants that. Oh, man, I was not expecting us to bring that up. I'm glad we did. I forgot about it. <laughs> but, I mean, realistically, Buffalo Bill became, I mean, so Hannibal Lecter obviously became part of the public lexicon with the parts we're about to talk about, especially with the face mask sure. and mm-hmm. the bite guard. But uh, Buffalo Bill did, too. I mean, yeah. he became part of the public lexicon to a point that he was in Joe Dirt. Right. Like, they, they replicated They referenced that. it. Well, and also uh, Clerks, too. Yeah. Right, when, when Jamie's tux is <laughs> And I'm pretty sure they got Goodbye Horses. Yeah, uh, and that's another thing, that song forever. Yeah. And don't forget, one of our best friends, Eric Davis. Shout out to Eric Davis. Did this dance at his wedding. Yeah. He literally got out with chapstick. I mean, he had all his clothes on. Oh, he did. But he okay. had them play. He did have them play that. It was quite a sight. Yeah. What a um, time to be alive. Yeah, so... <laughs> So basically at this point, once they have the conversation about the lambs and he's in that cage, the movie just hits high speed from there. Um, We have his escape and attack, which we can talk about, but you also have uh, the situation being covered more heavily at Buffalo Bill's home, and that's getting crazier, and the girl's plotting on how she can escape uh, by maybe getting leverage for getting the pet dog down there, who, by the way, is in a number of other movies. I was going to say... You better put some respect on her name. Okay. Well, you you that's your that's your job. Um, Pressures. But we also have kind of the turning point in the thinking of how to catch this guy that occurs also, and so all of these things are racing, kind of towards colliding at once. Do we want to break down the escape and attack real quick? I mean, you got to. I mean, yeah. so I don't remember how he gets them in the cage. Off the top of my head, it's, he, time it's for, for it's for food, and he's yeah. not in a cage where they can just slide it in right. the thing. They right. have to oh. come in and they drop it off. Yeah, and so yeah. they cuff him. They make him cuff against back there while they come in with the door open. But he's got the item in his hand to, to Jimmy it loose with with the handcuffs, and so the calmness and precision with which he attacks is just chilling. Just the way, like he's like a a, a maestro 
conducting an orchestra. Right. And, and I uh, have heard it said that Anthony Hopkins studied the movements of lizards in hmm. preparation for this role. Oh, I could see that. And reptiles. And a, a fun side note on that is that uh, Jim Carrey did a similar thing with his preparation for Ace Ventura, where he watched birds as reference for movements. Interesting. You wouldn't think that much would go into the performance of Ace Ventura, but... I can't follow that. Yeah. That's gold. Anyway. <laughs> That's beautiful. Wrap I, the show up. Yeah. I'll watch Ace Ventura a sad amount of times. <laughs> Alrighty then. Yeah, but they... So, they, they I was going to say, they mentioned earlier in the movie attacks that he'd had in the past where his blood pressure didn't change. I mean, he's just unaffected. And yeah. you can see it in real time with the just casual club across and the blood spurting back all the mace he sprays in old boy's eyes oh my gosh it's like 10 minutes (laughs) and so then the other guard comes in thinks that the guard is the dead guy laying there and no face all fucked up it's hannibal lecter wearing the guy's face which we get replicated in cable guy (laughs) speaking of jim carrey (laughs) he tears the silence when they're at medieval times, <laughs> so and that's when I mean that's really I think probably for for mainstream America kind of when they lost cabin pressure like oh my god like this right. guy is wearing someone else's skin and let's be honest it's also where it lost a little bit of its realistic footing too because when you don't fixate on it when you're watching the movie but now that we're discussing it let's take a look real quick and think about what all this man has done in the time that he just wants to escape. He's strung one guy up to the top of the cage with his his body disemboweled and drooped out. He's, he's flayed him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's now carved off the face and is wearing it and then laying there to be taken out that way. He's also disposed of a body on top of an elevator before he came back in that's dressed up in his clothes. So he got changed and all this. It's a little bit. But it's okay. It's entertaining. Listen, I know that he was in Magneto's cage, but he could do CrossFit. In there. True. <laughs> Did you just more or less say, here's where the fiction starts? Well, kind of. <laughs> Goodbye, horses. But it, does, it doesn't matter because it's wildly entertaining. Yeah. Uh, but the, the kind of the turning point um, and then figuring this out is the, the key question of the movie. And one that I think doesn't get enough credit in how kind of just the general public thinks about these cases now, which is how do we covet? We covet what we know, what we see every day. Mm-hmm. And so they they literally rewind and rethink how they're looking at this case to go back to where was the first victim from. She was a tailor. You think about the pieces missing from the skin, who she worked with, and it's like bam, 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 bam. But we also have the incredible approach to how that unfolds for the viewer. Yeah. So we've got the FBI going one way. we got Jodie Foster going another way. And it's presented to us like they're going to the same location. But, ha-ha, we find out the FBI fucked up. And Jodie Foster is by herself with Buffalo Bill. Right. And so you've got the FBI setting up around the house all getting up around the bushes, and then you've got the chaos going on inside the house. And then the doorbell's ringing, and you think they're getting ready to bust this bitch down. He knows somebody's here. Because they have like somebody pretending, I think, to be like a flowery delivery yeah. or something. And then she, he opens the door to her, and the viewer's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Uh-oh. So, Professor, I need to ask you a question. <laughs> Wait, 
Wait. What? Was she a great big fat person? Uh, yeah, she was a larger girl, sir. <laughs> uh, I have to say, too, in college, at one point, I pushed the loop A to B on that exact line, locked my bedroom door, and blasted it for 15 straight minutes. Uh, my roommate, Miles, not pleased after about 10 minutes. But I'm sure the neighbors could hear, wait, was she a great big fat person? Over and over and over again. But um, and, and there are two just scenes that just make my skin crawl one is when he pieces together that he's he's caught when he's standing there going through the business cards and he looks up and the way he just stares at her and just kind of holds them out like decks of cards and then just drops them and runs off into the house that shit's scary and then the night vision yeah Yeah. that's unreal yeah and what's funny is it had been so long since i seen it i forgot about the night vision part Oh yeah! I'm like man, that is. I think that was the first time I was ever aware of night vision. Sure, was seeing that for the first time. Yeah, and so also I think we should clarify too that before this we do see Hannibal uh, pull off the skin in the ambulance, yeah. and they reference the people in the ambulance being found dead. So he's he's free. He's he's gone. Um, but the other thing I want to point out too before we wrap this up is. Would you guys, this is a serious question, food for thought, listeners too, if you have been trying to fight for your life for days, you've been abducted, and you finally have somebody in the house that's there to save you, would you trash talk them while they're trying to do that? Uh, <laughs> help me, you fucking bitch! Just Probably so, because it's just like, no, don't fucking leave me sitting here. Get me the fuck out of this She's hole. She's just going off on her, though, down there from the well. You say, help me, you bitch! It's like, Shut up! Give me a minute. I am trying to kill Buffalo Bill. <laughs> uh, we also neglect too that 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 girl sets up an elaborate trap to get precious. Yep, <laughs> with a chicken bone. Yeah, this is where Grizz's quotes come in. It just <laughs> got permanently all precious, stored. precious. She's hurt real bad, Mister. <laughs> <laughs> Needs a bed. Oh, man. Does as it's told or it gets the hose again. Somewhere there's a video of Vinny at our <laughs> oh, yeah. wedding rehearsal holding my dog Puka looking down at us from some stairs. We ought to see if we can't get that up on social media. <laughs> we do need to find that. Hot Toddy's got it somewhere. <clears throat> so, But yeah, she succeeds. She smokes. Oh, yeah. She smokes Buffalo it's Bill. very satisfactory. Yeah. Like, you, you've been holding your breath this whole time. And when she it's gets intense. in, you finally go, oh. Thank God that's over. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, really? I yeah, would... yeah. And then to tie up the movie, Clarice graduates. Sure. There's a phone call for her. She goes and answers. It's Lecter. Dr. Lecter? That was good. <laughs> I thought I was watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's loose, and he lets her know he's going to have an old friend for dinner. The yeah, juice is loose. Yeah, what is it? What's his name? Is it and it's Hilton? Hilton? The, the peckerhead psychologist. Yeah, the one that's Warden. run the, the, the oh, yeah. place that's that he right. hates. Yeah. yeah. And here I am, not wearing my Hannibal Lecter hat that I was going to wear for this. <laughs> so, yeah, the silence of the lambs. And, and, Professor, you probably know more so than the rest of us, Academy Awards-wise. Five. Yeah. This I got them written down. Best picture, best actor, best actress, best director, and best screenplay. It cleared out. Oh, yeah. I mean, and then incredible. it became just a thriller uh, because you can't have horror. Can't be a horror movie. Yeah. And can't you got be. people that still, even that love the movie, that are like, that's more of a thriller. I'm like, he wears a dude's face. Let it have horror, too. <laughs> uh, I want to mention, too, Buffalo Bill's house is now 
uh, an Airbnb if you would like to go stay there. The interiors do look like it. The basement is not part of that, but they literally have set up his studio for you to make your own video. Like if you want to put on the the dresses in here, yeah, that too. Um, if you want, it's it's all there and it's available. Uh, that's in Pittsburgh. Second honeymoon. <laughs> they have a <laughs> they have a social media account where you can follow them. Just check out kind of what they're doing. It's cool that somebody bought it that that yeah. likes the movie. That's fun. because it wasn't the case before. And then uh, I don't think we mentioned also in addition to Romero, you also have Roger Corman mm-hmm. uh, in this movie as well, who yep. got Jonathan Demme started early on with exploitation oh, cool. movies in the seventies. I did notice Corman. So yeah, what a movie! What a treat. Just what a treat. Well, tonally, things shift a little bit uh, throughout the rest of the films we're talking about, but there's some some shades of where it holds on to the magic of this, yeah. this film. And and two, to clarify, if listeners are like, man, they, they really got into that first one, it's not going to be that <laughs> intricate for the rest yeah, this, of these. That, that was not part one of a three-hour yeah. <laughs> episode. So, moving on along, we're going... Uh, now we're going to talk about Hannibal... Just to give you folks a roadmap, we're going to talk about Hannibal next because chronologically it came after Silence of the Lambs. Then we're going to hit Red Dragon to wrap up the Anthony Hopkins trilogy. Then we're going to talk about Hannibal Rising for your sake so that you don't have to hear us close on Hannibal Rising and then hit Manhunter and the TV show. So, good plan. Hannibal. Hannibal! Uh, 2001. uh, It was directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, also from the writing of Thomas Harris, this is starring Anthony Hopkins, uh, Julianne Moore, who is now playing uh, Starling, Ray Liotta, uh, Gary Oldman, uh, in a way that you can't even really recognize him. Um, and a name I want to mention, just put on the radar, uh, I think it's pronounced uh, Frankie Faison. He's in The Wire, uh, but he was the one that tells Clarice in Silence of the Lambs, I'll be watching, you'll do fine. Because he's in basically every one of these movies, but he's never it's never like, hey, he's in this one now. He just pops up in all of these. It's like he's attached to the property. So he's in there as well. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, set 10 years after James Gum and the case that we just discussed. And uh, thoughts on this one, experiences. I guess Vinny wouldn't have one if he hadn't seen it before. But This was my first time as well, and I just want to throw out a few quick thoughts. Number one, um, I watched... I watched Red Dragon and then Silence of the Lambs this time around, just to get that trilogy feel. And it's funny, for Red Dragon being made so many years later, Silence of the Lambs is way more sleazy and kind of exploitative. Like, it's it's a dirtier film. Like, Red Dragon is pretty sanitary compared to Silence of the Lambs. Because um, nobody gets skeet thrown in their face? That's what, exactly the point we forgot <laughs> to bring up. Was, my, I, I want a t-shirt that says, My Boy Migs. That's just me. <laughs> yeah, we forgot to bring that up. That's why I bring that up. Yeah. We forgot that. And so Hannibal tries to maintain some of that sleaziness. You get a little bit of that, so I wanted to bring that up. Uh, number two, you brought up Gary Oldman. I just want to say everyone wants to talk about how Johnny Depp is a chameleon and can change for nah, roles. It's Oldman. I'm Gary Oldman you. is the king. It's unbelievable. That makeup gen- was incredible. Who did, do we know who did the makeup on that? I honestly, strangely, didn't look I don't think to I've see got, that. It was CGI. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the makeup is absolutely incredible yeah. on yeah. Gary Oldman. Um, and then two, I know Vinny is going to not be a fan of this just because he hates when they swap a, an actor, but I think Julianne Moore was a better Clarice, personally. But I'm also a mark for Julianne Moore, and I'm not a big fan of Jodie Foster. Uh, I will absolutely disagree with you on that. It immediately puts this movie at a disadvantage for me 
because they recast the star the Clarice Starling role. And frankly, um, did it need to be Clarice? If you were going to change the actor, is it really that important to the well, story? That's that an interesting be element that's because at first I would say absolutely it does, but then you watch the movie, right? And the story that they tell really didn't need to be Clarice. And I, from the treatment of the character Clarice and the movie itself, I see why Jodie Foster passed. I guess um, Hopkins was not pleased either. I'm surprised because he expected her to do it alongside him yeah. and then he was like shit now I'm signed on to this movie that's going to look even worse without her involved I don't understand why the decision was made to make this sequel 10 years later it's strange 10 years later you can't get one of the main returning actors just this movie is it's not bad I'm not going to say it's bad but <clears throat> I think Lecter, and this is going to be said for the rest of, of the franchise as well, I think it's better when Lecter isn't Jim Morrison to the doors. You know what I mean? Like yeah. When he's not front and center, when he's part, uh, uh, when he is a supporting structure, I think the character works better where obviously this was a... No, it, Hannibal was the star of that movie. Let's make Hannibal the star. And I think it suffers because of that. And I think Anthony Hopkins is still good. I think he's still Hannibal Lecter. And I think the character stays intact. But as a whole, I... If it weren't for Gary Oldman, I would say I don't know that I'll ever watch this again. But with Gary Oldman and Hopkins, I can't completely rule that out. It's a really weird convergence of story, time, and place. To try to do this sequel this many years later, to do it when it's that weird transitional time from analog to digital mm-hmm. and from practical to CGI, back to practical. Um, and to have Ridley Scott direct it, and it turns out like this. I like I enjoyed the movie. I'll put it that way. It's my first time watching it. I enjoyed it. I was I'll, entertained. Yeah, it was yeah, exactly. I'll probably watch it again. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is yes. great in it. Um, no, that's, wait, oh wait, that's wrong movie. Yeah. <laughs> nope, never mind. <laughs> Grizz is like, never mind. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> PSA chain in it. No, I'm good. Um, a lot of strange decisions were made. Yes, I'll agree very with much you so. there. This this would be a much more uh, kind of standard release for what it should be if there had been like two movies in between. Yeah, if we were reaching at this yeah, point yeah, for yeah. where is Hannibal now as a free man? Yeah, I what for the life of me I cannot understand, and, and this goes for the same with the the writing of the novels. Is the magic with this story in the first major movie, and even the original with Manhunter for that matter, was him being contained? Yeah. And working on other cases. That was what made it interesting. Yeah. Why on earth they didn't go back to the well, pardon the pun, over and over and over again for that with different cases is beyond me. Those books would have flew off the shelves because these were summertime page turners in the 80s. People loved them before they were movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm, I, I don't understand why that wasn't tapped into. Now, with that said, I'm okay with where the story goes initially because it's they're even saying, hey, this is 10 years later. We're not picking up right from the airport at the end of the first one. He's yeah. older. This is where they're established in their lives. But even even still, it's it, it feels like we're trying to force another plot mm-hmm. 
like another script into a, a sequel for Hannibal uh, with all this other shit with like getting involved in politics, drug raids. Uh, I mean, it's just, man, it reaches and it's like, they're not forgiving to the viewer yeah. because you make, you, you kind of make concessions for it and say, okay, well let's just accept this and watch it. And you kind of, by midway through are like, okay, the acting's good. The filmmaking's great. Ridley Scott's a talent. I can live with this. And then they jump the shark. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's keep getting crazier and crazier. Yeah. And I'm like, what in the hell were they and thinking? And I would like to clarify, I, there is nothing wrong with Julianne Moore's performance in this movie. No, she's a good actress. She's fine. It's just but why couldn't, distracting. why couldn't she just be a different agent that, for whatever reason, Lecter has read in the papers has taken a shine to? Right. I think that it hurts the film. That being Clarice yeah, the, Starling. I think I agree. I think that they. I see why they originally had it for the draw of her. Sure. But once Foster was out, let's just switch the character in her background a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Quit making people compare them. Yep. I but agree. for continuity, she does make the point in this movie again that she was raised Lutheran. So I want you to know that. <laughs> <laughs> so do we want to brief plot on this? I will just chime in here and there with it. I'll let you guys take lead on this because if you try and go for this plot tit for tat, we're going to be talking for 45 minutes about it because it's quite intricate with with what they do. You've got got a super wealthy guy who's horny for Hannibal Lecter who was a victim (laughs) of Hannibal Lecter. Horribly disfigured. Mason Mason Verger. Verger, yeah. Which is, I, I think it's a lot of fun that they filmed his house as the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. That was pretty cool. Um, I, I don't even know where to go. Like, so you've got, this guy was disfigured by Lecter back in the day. Horribly disfigured. He, like he says, horny for Lecter, wants Lecter, wants to torture Lecter. Yeah. So there's Buys this, Lecter stuff. So there's this whole revenge plot thing going on. Then you've got Clarice Starling, who you know is an FBI darling who botches a raid. That's what the whole movie opens with. This a, a very advanced set piece action open. Like what the hell? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's a drug raid, raid goes bad. I thought I was watching a Michael Bay movie. Right now, now Clarice's uh, career's in the shitter, but Lecter is reaching out and see in there. Here's where they pull you in a little bit. You're like, ooh, I like that because he sends the letter, but they track the scent of a skin cream that's only sold in these specific places. So they narrow down where he might be. So you got these these things where you're like, okay, I'm back in, and then it'll be something goofy again, back and forth. But yes, he reaches out to her. So he reaches out to her, uh, Clarice, for being this uh, FBI agent, decorated, all this keeps making a lot of very terrible, uncharacteristic decisions for her career, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's a weird way to go with the character. Keeps doing things that she knows illegal and all this other stuff. Long story short, Lecter ends up being captured by the Gary Oldman's character's henchman. He's going to feed him to hogs. Wild hogs. Not the movie with Tim Allen and John Travolta. And it's in, they, they catch him in Italy, right? And, and I've gonna... successfully forgotten about that movie. You're welcome. It's not bad. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's doo-doo. You're right, it's horrible. <laughs> uh, so, and then Clarice ends up tracking Lecter to the same place. So they're in the same place, same time. She helps rescue Lecter. Uh, Gary Oldman, spoilers, Gary Oldman's handler 
doesn't want to be party to what's going on, and then Lecter looks up at him and says, "You know, if uh, you know if you throw him in here and kill him, they're just going to blame me, right?" And the guy's <laughs> like, "Yeet!" <laughs> right, because the the deformed guy, a he cut his own face off, but Lecter yes. talked him into it under the influence of drugs, <laughs> yes. and also he's a terrible pedophile. Yes, so there's like there's this thing like. Mm. Not, it's not a loss to the world if he dies. Yeah. But, yes. So, uh, once again, Lecter escapes, blah, blah, blah. That's basically your movie. Also, what, after he could have killed Clarice, yes. he like puts her in a position where, like, but he lets her go. What And cuts his own... Does he cut his own hand off in maybe this a, one? Maybe a finger. Yes. Or fingers Whole or whatever. Hand. Whole, Whole hand. hand. Okay. Yeah. Which was weird. Because he was um, handcuffed. Yeah. That's right. So... The other thing I don't care for is... The end? Well, yes. The <laughs> end sucks, and we've spent this movie basically turning Hannibal Lecter into the hero. Right. Which, there's even a weird element of that in the first one, like where, you, where when he escapes, you kind of find yourself going, ooh, yeah, you, cool, a, a and then you're like, bit. wait, is it cool? Yeah, because yeah, you know, people have been peckerheads to him throughout it, and you've watched him be polite... Right and helpful to the character you're seeing the movie through the lens of Clarice. So there is a little bit of of that rooting, but then they really make him like this fucking Punisher anti-hero in this <laughs> one, in my opinion. And let's you lose sight of the fact that no, he's a piece of shit, fucking psychopath. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, in a nutshell, Hannibal. Well, let's talk about that great CGI with Ray Liotta's head getting. Now I was ni- nineteen. That's wrong. When movie, this came out, is that the right movie? No, no yo, I forgot it was the right. Yeah, oh my god! Because after the the hogs, yes. they yeah. they flee to god. the the guy from the Justice Department, played by Ray Liotta. His name's escaping me. Paul Krendler. Um, he's got a uh, like a lake house, whatever that they they set up shop there. He comes back. And they make him a part of it, and and there's this the scene where you know Clarice comes to, and she's sitting at the table in a dinner gown. Um, and because we, he had saved her and from the her Italians, yes. right, and yes. carried her out. Um, oh, God. And so then he is—he has Ray Liotta, the top of his skull removed, and is sauteing his brain and feeding it to him. And we have officially jumped the shark in it, the first sequel to a classic. It's especially because Silence of the Lambs was so rooted. In reality, well, aside from what you said earlier about the time frame where Hannibal's, which is even still in the scheme of things forgivable in terms of being realistic, yes, but it's very grounded in in the real world and feels very true crime through the full thing. This is ridiculous. I hated this part so much that I hadn't watched this movie since then till we did for this podcast. I never went back to Hannibal because it feels like like an international police action movie half Mm -hmm. the time. Yeah, Yeah, and then all this boring. Uh, political screwing around from Verger influencing and getting people reassigned and shit. I didn't care about any of it. I just wanted the basic story. And what I was kind of referring to at the beginning of talking about this movie, there's almost nothing on screen together between Clarice and Hannibal. You've got them, the main two people of the movie, and the narrative includes almost nothing of them together. What a squandered opportunity. Yeah, Um, I had blocked out of my memory that scene with the brain. Well, and then as if that oh. isn't bad enough, once he gets out with the thing where we talked about him cutting his hand off and he's on the plane, he feeds part of that brain to a kid? Yeah. Like, what? 
Yeah. Like, what are we doing? He says, it's important to always try new things. Oh, boy. Mm. Yeah. What a what a mistake. <laughs> yeah. It. I mean, I guess if you're Hollywood and the reality of the matter is dollars are what drive you. And Silence of the Lambs was lightning in a bottle. Sure. And to think you're going to recreate that. And so I'm saying I, I can see where the uh, allure would be to think about, eh, maybe we make another one and make some money. You know, sure. I, I, I see why you would be tempted, but really, <sighs> it puts a mark on Silence of the Lambs, an unwanted mark. It, it's a splotch. It, it's, it sullies the image of it putting this sequel out because it really is subpar yeah compared to silence of the Land. at best yeah and i wondered too if time would forgive a little bit when i watched it but i feel the same like i don't hate it there's yeah. plenty of entertaining elements Until you to, get it, to that brain but it's just ugh. yeah yeah nothing can take away the greatness of silence of the lambs no. but man what a disappointment yes when you wait you think 10 years and then you get this yes so yeah what a treat but they did get Barney back, the uh, the hospital, the yeah. worker Frankie that we see on. from Silence yep. of the Lambs yep. back in this. Yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, all right. Let's shake it off. Shake it off here. Before we go, I just want to say, scary surveillance clip. I do love that. When you get to see him attack the person when they show the footage of him. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is, I know it's coming and it still scares me. Oh, yeah. Like, whoop. For sure. Okay. All right, shake it off and let's go to Red Dragon. <clears throat> Red Dragon uh, came out the following year, 2002, uh, directed by the underwhelming and prickish Brett Ratner, uh, starring Anthony Hopkins, Ed Norton, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ralph Fiennes, Harvey Keitel, Mary Louise Parker, and Emily Watson. A stacked cast. And there's others you could keep going. My, fir- my first note says I'm already out at Hannibal's Ponytail. <laughs> That's my first note, too. Uh, I'm interested in everybody's experiences with this before, except for Vinny, who clarified up front he hadn't watched these movies before, so I'm like... Uh, I'd only watched it once or twice before. Okay. Um, enjoy it. Enjoyed it then. Still enjoy it. I, when this came out, loved it. Mm-hmm. Now when I watch it, I don't understand why it was made. Interesting. So, I, I mean, we'll get into more of that. But it's And it's still enjoyable. Yeah. I like the movie. It's fine. But it's it's like clearly them just trying to shoehorn in Hopkins representing oh, sure. in, the, in, in the story. Yes. I'll I'll say something now that I'll I'll talk about more when we get to Manhunter, and that's liking this made me like Manhunter more because this fleshes out the story of the. I'm going to sound like Hot Toddy, R.I.P. He's not dead. He's just not. On the show. <laughs> yeah, let's clarify that quick. Whoa. <laughs> um, <laughs> Woo, as if we weren't bleak enough. Oh man, no. But uh, but this fleshes out more the story of the book Red Dragon than Manhunter does. And so when you watch Manhunter, if you've seen this first, you see the story that they're telling. And you're, and to me, I said, oh, well, thank God I watched Red Dragon first because it fleshes out a lot of those plot holes that they leave out in Manhunter. So that's what I still like about Red Dragon is that it tells that the story of the book more completely. Um, but if you were to ask me if I think it's superior to Manhunter, at this point I would say they're neck and neck for me. For um, me, I'd put Manhunter... I'd mile above this. And, and we'll get to reasons why I like Manhunter more than this movie. Sure. But there are things about this movie that I like more than Manhunter. So it's a it's a 
it's a yin and a yang for yeah. me putting these together. Watching this for the first time, what I did like about this is this felt more like Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. in that it was rooted in the true crime. It, yes. So that, totally. Yes. It was it was more of a detective story. It was more true crime. Uh, I did, even without having the reference of having watched Manhunter, it was uh, made to spotlight Hannibal more, like you said. Right. Make him more into the forefront of whatever. It was a, it, this is a Hannibal Lecter movie. Yeah. Um, well, and Hopkins had just been so successful in the character. It's like we wanted this story to exist with him doing it. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I think Ed Norton is good in this movie, uh, and and at the end of the day, I like this movie fine. I certainly liked it better than Hannibal. Um, and I think that was an, that's an important thing to point out. Is there were so many people at least, at least I'll speak for myself that in two thousand one was a, like just ugh with Hannibal, and then this comes out the following year, and it was like it cleansed the palate. Yeah. it's like okay, cool, we're back to yes. normal. Yep. More yes. like Silence of the Lambs. Yes. That is a really good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is far superior to Hannibal. I and like uh, there's a part where the the blind woman that's in it refers to. She says, "Have you had a, a palate surgery? I can I can hear it." Mm. And I that to me plays into um, true crime, where usually a person has a speech impediment. Or, you know what I mean, a disfigurement, bedwetting as a child, all those kind of things. So I, all the, the true crime, real-life true crime stuff playing into this, I liked as well. It's neat, too, that they're identifying him by bite marks. Yes. Uh, which also takes Bundy us back style. to Bundy again, yes. which is kind of scary now that a lot of people are referring that bite marks are considered junk science in the forensics world now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's the only way they caught Bundy. Yeah, it's the only way they convicted him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, and what's fun, too, is as I'm watching all of these, I start going, I start looking like Leo DiCaprio from Once Upon a Time in America where he's pointing at the screen. I'm like, they put that in the Hannibal TV show. They put that in the Hannibal TV show. And so, especially now we've entered Will Graham, mm-hmm. who's not in the previous two movies, who is the character that carries the Hannibal television show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's neat. Yeah, Will Graham's a, a massive character in this world. It's just Clarice was the the rock star sure. initially. Yeah, yeah, Red Dragon. Yeah, Red Dragon. Um, so basic setup: Red Dragon is telling the story of um, a killer who is uh, what do they initially want to call him? The bite mark killer or. Tooth Fairy? Tooth Fairy, that's right. They want to climb the Tooth Fairy. He wants to be called the Red Dragon. But again, it's a setup just like Silence of the Lambs, where, but this time, Will Graham, our retired detective, Ed Norton, has a history with Hannibal Lecter because he's the one that caught him. Um, P.S., this is a prequel story. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're going back in time now. So they're going to pull him in to catch this Tooth Fairy. So that we don't have to have Anthony Hopkins hide his severed hand through an entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, and so, essentially, it's it's the Silence of the Lambs setup in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, in that someone trying to catch someone goes back to Hannibal Which as a source. Which will become a theme as we go through this. Hannibal is better when he's in captivity working with somebody else and not free and running around. Yeah. 
without question. Uh, this movie opens with the background on the attack between them. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessary. It's I know a lot of people enjoy it. Um, I didn't need it. I, I think that in a lot of ways, we'll discuss it with Manhunter, that it's more potent to just kind of reference it before we meet him as a caged animal later. Um, but I'm fine with people enjoying seeing it. Well, and I'll come back to it, but what's the name of the character that plays Will Graham in Manhunter, or what's the name of the actor? In the Owen oh, Manhunter? Yeah. William Peterson. Yeah, William Peterson. Again, we'll talk about when we get the Manhunter, but William Peterson does a far superior job of showing how traumatized he is by Hannibal Lecter. I 100% agree. Than Ed Norton does. Yeah. Ed Norton's fine in this, but yeah. more so when he's in the crime scene elements, he's really good with his kind of zip that he puts on it, um, working his way through crime scenes and piecing things together. He's really good in those moments, but I agree the trauma stuff really isn't landing with him in the same way. No, it's not. You are convinced that Peterson is terrified of Lecter. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, yeah, so... The Red Dragon, played by uh, Fines. Yes, Ralph. Yeah. Some people say he likes to go by Rafe. Yes, in in 30 seconds I'm getting ready to get completely naked and show you guys my tattoos. (laughs) He's at the old Dollar Hyde Manor. That's where he lives. And he's been corresponding with Dr. Lecter. Through? Toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) Which is even funnier because in prison they do do that. And they actually make like an ink. They do do that. And they make an ink that's like part urine. That only like shows up when you like burn it. Interesting. Oh yeah. You've watched enough Gangland on History That's Channel, true. Professor. You used, know this. Used to used to log a lot of hours doing that. <laughs> yeah, they're to- they're talking through classifieds, um, almost in in a coded manner to where they can then translate it via, you know, just piecing it together from there. There's yeah. a great sequence with that in the movie. Um, and in that sequence. The acting that Lecter is, or that Hopkins is able to do through his eyes alone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is outstanding. Yeah, yeah. If we haven't driven it home hard enough at this point, but the the bite shield that he has to wear as Hannibal Lecter throughout Silence of the Lambs in this film, I mean, that's iconic. That, yeah, yes. when you think Hannibal Lecter, it's the bite shield yes. that he has to. wear. And I reference the surveillance nice. clip you see just so they kind of illustrate his history with like, even when you have him restrained, he can still t- take you apart. Exactly. Exactly. And again, I'm not, this is not beating up on Manhunter, but I felt like this scene was better done in red dragon with him being in, you really feel the pressure of them. All right, we got to fly down there. We got to get this. We got to get all these experts before Only, Lecter realizes what's going on. Exactly. Only the emotion you get the, I personally like, the experts looking at the stuff in Manhunter. I was going to say I like the experts better. I like the experts better in Manhunter, but I like the tension better in Red Dragon. Yeah, that's fair. And for me, that's that. That was really the treat of watching these two movies side by side is acknowledging that they're both awesome movies. Yes, but being able to pick and choose what I like better about each of them. Sure, I'll make an ultimate director's cut one day where I splice <laughs> them together. Old fan <laughs> cut. I like it. <laughs> Um, so I know we kind of referenced it, but the movie opens with the, with the attack and the history on them. And then you've got the great scene that's also in Manhunter where we meet on the beach where he tells yeah. you about the case. Um, but then, It looks way better in Manhunter. Yeah. <laughs> and so we go out uh, after that. He talks him into helping just from yeah, a distance. Yeah, because Will Graham, after being hospitalized but, and almost murdered by Lecter once he discovers him, retired. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'd like to see my kid grow up. Yes. I, I don't need to keep doing this. And now this. is getting pulled back in yeah. to this to help catch this killer because 
the killer's on a lunar cycle, and they only have a few weeks. Yeah, speaking of danger, uh, if you hear anything <laughs> extra in the recording, it is starting to storm pretty heavily in the background. But yeah. So Will Graham is reluctantly coming back because he has a unique way of imagining himself in a killer's mind to possibly apprehend this guy before there's another victim. Yeah. And it's, it's done really well to, uh, it's the same character that Scott Glenn played, um, Crawford, Jack Crawford, and in this one we've got uh, Harvey Keitel playing the character. And he's basically saying, like, if you can't look at these pictures, I understand. Because they, I mean, everybody gets where and what they've went through uh, in that situation. But basically he sees that these families, you know, there's more at stake still. And he decides to help from a distance. And so you've kind of got this interesting experience with him kind of navigating that where he inherently gets right back into his groove. But he's he's trying to distance himself, and it's pretty much impossible because yeah. he's really good at what he does, yeah. even when he's traumatized and, and afraid of it. Uh, but so the first, the first house visit, um, I do think both movies, I'd give them a tie on this. I think they both do things really well and chilling. And just me personally, I have a lot of throwback to the real-life DeFeo case with oh, these yeah, and, yeah, the, yeah. and the family members in bed. Um, yeah. But this stuff is really, it really gets the viewer. Yeah. Uh, and Norton's really good at his narrative, is working his way through it. Yeah. Um, but he visits these houses. I don't know how much we want to go through the plot on this, but... You have uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is one of the best things about this version of the movie, having him in there playing Freddy, uh, the shithead from the media, uh, who not only endangered Will previously, um, but is still a problem. And so they find ways to get him involved uh, with it as well. Uh, But Will does go back and meet Hannibal in his famous cell. We return to the location we know. Um, Which was done very well, I might say. I agree. Taking you back to those sets that we saw in, the, in Silence of the Lambs, it felt it felt right. And I really did enjoy the links that they went to to get that to look right. Yeah. And so with this, this case, we've got different families in different places being attacked. Um, and they don't know what's how to approach it other than it's tied into the lunar cycle and they've got a certain period of time where they're mm-hmm. trying to act on this. Uh, we then start to bleed in scenes of our killer and his psychosis, which I do think is completely glossed over in Manhunter, uh, that they really hit you over the head with in a good way yeah. here, where he's hearing his voice, the voice of his mother, sorry, uh, through the house that's just kind of torturing him. Yeah. Um, and so we're on kind of the same crash course that we've been in previously, which I think is why this one was received better at the time, because as we said, it's a return to form. Yeah. And this is really kind of approaching that, that kind of same narrative. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really how in-depth you guys want to go from there on the, on the plot. I but. think we can just kind of gloss over the rest of it. I'm sure we've been talking for probably an hour and a half. Yeah, by now. yeah we're about an hour. <laughs> um, yeah. There's, so we, we find out that Lecter has given Dollar Hyde um, Will's address. Um, and also we get this great also side story with the reporter who broke the story about Will and took pictures of him in the hospital after he'd been attacked by Lecter. Um, and so they also kind of use him as a pawn to help draw It's out the perfect the solution. Line. Yeah. Because he deserves every ounce of, yeah. of some retribution. Yeah, they get him for... to print a bunch of bullshit <clears throat> about their suspected tooth fairy killer yeah. that are very insulting and... to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking upset. that it will draw him out. And it does because the killer abducts the reporter, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, has him 
uh, glued to a fucking old timey wheelchair. Yeah, gets him to do a retraction. Yeah, records it and then uh, sets, him sets him on fire and rolls him down the street. In Philip the wheelchair. Hoffman is, I mean. He probably could have been doing three other movies, yeah. <laughs> but he really is good in it. He's, he's so better than Stephen Lang is in Manhunter in that role. Yeah, and when he's, he's good too. When he sees the tattoos and he's like, "Oh no, oh no!" It's just it's about to get bad. Uh, what about when uh, Dollar Hyde eats the original artwork of the Red Dragon? Shit's <laughs> hot. It's like me at work. <laughs> <laughs> and so he he starts a fire at his place, fakes his own death with a body, and then goes after Will's family. Yes, which I didn't see coming, yeah. by the way. It was right. a nice plot twist yeah. to then have a showdown at the end where Will kind of uses some psychology on him uh, and same ending as Silence of the Lambs. Shoots, I would say also, yeah, we can go more into depth on Manhunter on exactly yeah, yeah. how he was getting to these homes, yeah. which yeah. is a really interesting yeah. element of it. So yeah, yeah we, we shoot the guy dead and uh, then the very end is them coming to Lecter's cell to tell him that there is a young agent coming to see him by the name of Clarice Starling. Yep. Which I'm fine with if they want the connective tissue, if it's fun for fans, but I really don't like the add-on at the end of the no, movie with going to his home with the action shootout and his. Me like, either. come on. Like, unnecessary. Just, yeah, it well felt, needed. Uh, even having no reference of anything else, it felt very... Like, I enjoyed the twist... But when we get into Red Dragon, I or uh, Manhunter, I feel Manhunter was better yeah. at the end. But anyway, Red oh. Dragon. Hey, Red Dragon, good movie. Check it out. Yes. Oh, now let's talk about one you shouldn't check out. <laughs> Hannibal Rising. Mm. Uh, Two thousand seven. There's your details. Yeah, it's just a back. It's 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 attempt to tell a prequel story, yeah. an origin story. Yeah. So right. I'll, I'll try and do this as briefly as possible without going through all the intricate I think stuff. I'll, I in 1944, he's an eight-year-old uh, living in Lecter Castle. World War II and the effects of, of how that plays out basically removes him from there. They flee into the woods, a uh, situation which it's too complicated to try and break down. But a tank explodes and kills all of his family except for his eight-year-old sister. Or maybe she's younger. Yeah. Anyways, they survive for a little bit out there. Um, but... Ultimately, and he learns this later because he's blocked it out, but the soldiers kill his sister and eat her yep. uh, and even have him have a broth that contains her as well, uh, which affects his psychosis. But in 1952, eight years later, uh, he is fleeing from the castle that is now an orphanage that had been taken like over. Soviet boys school. He lands in France uh, with an aunt, a widowed aunt. Uh, he com- commits his first murder on a butcher that insults her. Uh, beheading him out in the... It's after he learns the way of the samurai. Yeah, right. (laughs) But um, He also gets uh, into medical school there in France, the youngest student. Uh, He's working in Paris uh, preparing cadavers. Um, And then basically it's just a revenge story on the soldiers that were responsible for taking his sister. That's literally the quickest synopsis I can do. It's a torture porn revenge story, too. Yeah, it's, it's completely... Leaning into the elements of what was going on in horror at the time, and it's so obvious. Once again, trying to make Hannibal Lecter the hero of the movie for you to cheer for Hannibal Lecter. Um, I have seen X Men movies that have better origin stories. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even the bad ones. Yeah, um, yeah. Him learning the way of the samurai from his Japanese aunt, who married his 
French uncle. And the uh, samurai lower half mask that he puts on. That looks is like the bite stupid. shield. It's so stupid. Uh, um, the inspector looking like John Cena. I was going to say, <laughs> Hannibal looking like Crispin Glover had sex with Andy Samberg. I said, looking more like George McFly than Hannibal Lecter. Yes. <laughs> and then the only the only highlight of this film is, is... And it's not even a highlight. The credits? Yeah, the credits. <laughs> no, I was going to say Richard Brake, but Richard Brake goes out like a bitch, and Richard Brake never goes out like a bitch. That's true. So, uh, and the incest shit was dumb with oh his God. aunt. Yeah. Like, just... What the fuck? This movie's awful. Don't watch it. Yeah, it's Turd City. <laughs> All right, should we should we move on? I'm done with it. Oh man, I didn't have time to get my next page moved. <laughs> Manhunter. <laughs> Manhunter. Uh, 1986, directed by the great Michael Mann, starring William Peterson, Brian Cox, Dennis Farina, Joan Allen, Tom Noonan, and Stephen Lang. This was also, as you'd expect, written by Thomas Harris, uh, and Michael Mann helped with the screenplay adaptation of it. Yeah. Um, I was watching it. This is the the this is the last one I watched before I watched Hannibal Rising. I was like, man, this is just like Red Dragon. This is tight. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is just like Hannibal the TV show. This is tight. But guess what, folks? It predates all of them. It is the first. Yeah, it is the original. It's the first. It's what really, year was it? Eighty six. Eighty six. That's where they try to start the Hannibal story. We wouldn't know it till Silence of the Lambs. Ooh, I know the Manhunter came out first. <laughs> but, um. But uh, this is good. This was fun. This is I my, love this movie. This is my first viewing. You know what's funny is you told me walking <laughs> in a blockbuster probably 20 years ago that Red Dragon was basically a remake because I was poo-pooing the idea. And you're yeah. like, no, 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 it's a remake. Because Manhunter was not on my radar. No, no. And even with this, and this, this is how you know it's a cult movie. Because even when Silence of the Lambs came out, nobody talked about it. Right. Yeah. Like right. You would have thought that that would have had people going racing back to watch it. I never heard of this until even later. Yep. So, I mean, this is a true definition of a cult movie, but this movie is the shit. I love it. I like the fact that it's the Hannibal aspects, because it wasn't trying to appease Hannibal Lecter fans, is pared down. Yep. So you don't have that shit in the beginning that shows the, or, the, the lead up to his relationship with Will Graham. He's used the way he was used, even to a lesser degree, in Silence of the Lambs. And you don't have added mustache twirling villain shit at the end of the movie either to right. try to spotlight Hannibal. Sure. And I, I think them skipping over the background and just hearing that it was trauma and the attack mm-hmm. makes him all the more dangerous mm-hmm. uh, because you didn't see it. And yeah. So your imagination just kind of fills in like this guy sitting across from him barely survived. And it, there's an interesting element to that. And it, it's so clinical and clean. It just white outfit, white room. It's just a completely different approach to yeah. the character. And oh, it certainly is a different approach <laughs> to the character. If you've listened to the show, you know I'm a simpleton. I like things spelled out, and that's why I lean towards the story in Red Dragon a little more, because it fleshes things out. But overall, I was very happy to watch this movie. Sure. Um, the color palette. Oh, it's beautiful. And he's always been like that. Oh, His movies, gosh, Even The Keep, beautiful. which we covered on the show, yeah, yeah, yeah. was very visual in yep. its approach. Um, something interesting with this is there's color coding. Mm-hmm. Blue is safety. Uh, so when you've got him in that insane shots at the yeah. beginning when he's at home, that's shot during the day. Yeah. You can see the sun reflecting on the water, yeah. but they've got it gelled blue. Yeah. Green is searching and red is danger. Uh, so it's kind of fun when you go yeah. back and watch it to, that you can kind of pinpoint it. It's not like cryptically going to solve the movie for you. It's yeah. just an effort that the director made to kind of have a tone to it. Yeah, I'm always excited when Tom Noonan 
Absolutely. Dude, he's a bad bitch in this. Newton's great in this. Peterson's great in this. Um, Cox is fun in this, I know. This yeah, I'm any... interested to hear you guys talk, because we don't need to go beat for beat through the plot of this, because yeah. Red Dragon is did. the same story. And honestly, we can kind of talk about things we like better or worse that show the differences, but let's start with Brian Cox. I'm interested to hear, because there's been some entertaining uh, content shared in a group message <laughs> leading up to this. He's fine. He, I'm just... Given the time and the place and my history with the franchise, I'm just a I'm just an Anthony Hopkins Hannibal guy. Like, sure. and and that'll come out when we talk about the Hannibal show. Like, Mads Mikkelsen is great. He's just not my Hannibal, and that's the yeah. same with Cox here. I think Cox did a fine job. But he's just not my Hannibal. There is a reason why Hannibal Lecter did not become a household name from this movie. Mm-hmm. Hopkins. Look, it's two different actors approaching it two different ways. Hopkins had the superior approach. Was it maybe the direction he was given and maybe a little more freedom with the script? I don't know. I don't. I, I can't speak to that. I thought the presentation of Hannibal was better in Silence of the Lambs. I like that dungeony looking the the white small cell. With bars and not the plexiglass wasn't as... See, this is an interesting element, though, and I'm not poo-pooing your take, but what we celebrate these movies for is the realism, yet Hannibal Lecter's never going to be in what he's in in Silence of the Lambs. This wide-spaced, beautiful rock wall. like It's ridiculous. It's wonderful for the movie, but that's what's interesting, because then when you see Brian Cox, it's like, that's really what it would be. This greasy-looking, goofy ass in a white room in a white It cracked me up that they used the little door to hand him stuff when they just could have turned it sideways and passed it through the bars. (laughs) That seemed rather silly to me. Um this this scene especially where Brian Cox is laying on the bed talking on the phone to Will Graham and it looks like he's at the slumber party in Greece. <laughs> like just I don't know, man. What you think about? I didn't find Lecter to be <clears throat> as, intimidating. as intimidating in this as sure. what Anthony Hopkins is. Sure. And, and I would say it, yeah. it's it's again, it's fine. I if I didn't have Anthony Hopkins to compare this with, I wouldn't have any complaints about the character of Hannibal Lecter. Um, just I prefer Anthony Hopkins. Not that Brian Cox did anything wrong. I just think they did it much better later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think it's more about approach than it is execution. Because I think Brian Cox, like you guys are saying, he's fine. He's a great actor. I just I don't think they were serving that purpose with Manhunter that they were and doing I later. I also yeah. think that Philip Seymour Hoffman was infinitely better as the I agree. As the reporter. Stephen Lang's a the, great actor, but yeah. he was a fucking caricature in yeah. this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and what's up with the, the, the flip onto the car? The bo- and then it's like, hey, let's go get a Let's go get an orange juice or whatever <laughs> yeah. the hell they do. Will Graham just body slams him when yeah. he sees him on the hood of that car. I love that. Yeah, little little butt. And William William Peterson, who is really good in this, and there's an interesting. Have you guys seen To Live and Die in L.A.? Mm-hmm. It's no. it's made. I know right, the Tupac song. Well, there's that. But the <laughs> thank you. Uh, the movie came out of right at the same time that even involved a lawsuit with Friedkin saying, "This is my character. You can't do this with him." Huh. Uh, that got all tied up, or maybe it's Michael Mansoon him, but. There's these two powerhouse performances from Peterson as a cop. And in that one, it's a whole different element of 
police work yeah. it was really good yeah and so you can see why he went on to become csi yeah uh, i mean it's laying the groundwork between those two movies for this but he's really good in this but man he dials it up like at one point later with steven lang he asked him about his sex life he's like my sex life affecting my sex life affects your sex life go fuck yourself yeah. it's like easy but pump the brakes we just got here dial her back dial her back um yeah last thing i want to say is uh i love when we're getting to the culminating point and uh Inagata DeVita by Iron Butterfly is blaring in the house when everything's going down yeah it's effective and there's something where <clears throat> Michael Mann had interviewed a killer I don't know if they were a serial killer uh, but Michael Mann is an obsessive director kind of like Fincher that's okay. why Zodiac kind of mirrored his obsession same with this yeah and he had talked to somebody that like that song told him to kill or, uh. or influenced him somehow and so that wasn't part of the original story or script. And yeah. it just kind of forced it in. And it became one of the most memorable things about yeah. it because it really cooks yeah. through that whole last segment. And I actually prefer Noonan's performance. I do too. Uh, it's much less over the top. Yes. With the full body tattoos. It like It's so much more believable in the real world to me than what the other one was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so much is understated, like uh, whereas in Red Dragon we draw attention to the fact that the guy had some sort of palette work done, mm-hmm. whereas Noonan has the scar. Yeah. And when the woman approaches to talk to him, he puts his hand up over his mouth while she's near. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until he realizes she's blind. She's blind, and then doesn't. It's so subtle. It it treats the viewer much more intelligently. Yes, hundred percent. And he's creepy with the pantyhose on his face too. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Shit, yeah. scary. Yeah. But the the scenes with and Joan Allen's really good too, the woman that, that he's ends mm-hmm. up with the date on. Um and it's it's such a great scene for the psychology of all of that, where he's he's got someone he's comfortable with because of his appearance and insecurities, but he's also like you start to feel almost this warmth for the situation. You're like, Oh, this blind woman and this guy with a disfigurement, they found each other. This is great. And then they're having a nice time, and then you're like, "Oh, he's he's watching footage of a family." Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Um, never mind. Yep. This guy's nuts. He's, yeah. he's also much more imposing. I mean, how tall is this guy? I, I don't know. He's like six five, maybe. He's, yeah, a, big he's a big dude. He's a big guy. Um, and so he he just fits the bill for all of that. You believe when you're watching, like this dude's scary as shit. Yeah. Because he's just insecure and crazy enough. Um, and I, from all accounts, the people on set were uncomfortable around him, mm-hmm. like because he got into character because he's a big ass dude. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that there are just some really incredible, incredible scenes, and the way that they piece all this together, and I want to make sure we mention this before we sign off, is that he works at a lab where they edit family home videos with all kinds of graphics and everything else to mail back to people, and so by doing that he can scope the home. Mm. And they can figure out things that he knew when they visit these crime scenes. Like, how in the hell would you know... Big backyard. But why would you know that, but not that they had no pet, the pet had died. Yeah. And then it slowly comes into, oh, he's studying the home videos. Yeah. He already has scouted everything without having to visit. Yep. Um, And it's a a genius concept for a serial killer uh, that they don't run into the ground it's yeah. just this little detail that we use to figure it out but this the the ending is just man it's wild it's over the top yeah and i'm I, i'm forgiving of it because it's really entertaining and really good the dude 
in real life would have bounced off the window when William Peterson goes jumping. Oh yeah, in. yeah. it would have just been like naked gun. He would have thumped <laughs> off of it and then had to go try and get in the door. Yeah, but it's man, it's badass for the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. One last thing I want to lay out for the listeners here is that um, the reason they chose the name Manhunter is because the studios had just made a movie called Year of the Dragon that flopped, and they wanted to distance themselves from that, so they didn't want to call it Red Dragon, and that's how you get Manhunter, and Michael Mann hated the decision. I think Manhunter is better, uh, and I think it's aged better in terms of the the name for it and all of the fascination that people have grown to have with the behavioral mm. uh, analysis unit and, sure. and FBI. And, well, and, and then you get, I mean, the Netflix show Mindhunter. Right. And the way it melds together with what was really happening, how that show got made, how this movie was made based on what they were doing in that show back right. then. It's a neat cycle. Well, and also, he can't really be salty when he doesn't lean much into the the Red Dragon element right. of the story yeah. in, in Manhunter. Yeah. So, um yeah, man. What it, it's just it's an absolutely stylized surreal movie, but also way more advanced in its realism. That's what's so interesting about it is it's like art house and grit at the same time just kind of blending. Mm-hmm. Because it's important to remember in 1986 we didn't have crime movies like this. No. This and that's part of the reason this didn't click at the time. It was just it was out there. Yeah. Now you watch it and it's like everything else. It's like, oh my gosh, where's this been my whole life? But this was really innovative um, in terms of a seri- approach to a serial killer movie and the police work that led it. And I love the stuff with them on the plane mm-hmm. and they're flying in racing against the clock as they're figuring out closing in on this guy. And then obviously the, the that just killer collision yeah. at the end with Inagata de Vita, which I just recently learned is supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. Oh, you just learned that? Yeah. Yeah. That he was so, so high. incapacitated that he couldn't <laughs> pronounce it. Uh, wrapping up here, have either of you watched the Hannibal TV show? I have. I have. I now have watched three episodes. Okay. I think it's great. And it's it's incredibly better than it has any right to be. I'll yeah. at least finish the first season. I like I like what I'm seeing so far. Season one is good. Season two gets even better. Okay. Season three, eh, it's it's still good. It's serviceable. Um, But I would, yeah, and it ties in a lot of these stories. They weave in together. I'm told season four was going to introduce Clarice, but there was also problems, I think, with the rights. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I would encourage people, if you like the Hannibal universe, check out the Hannibal TV show. But don't watch Hannibal Rising. Do not ever. No. The music in Manhunter, by the way, is badass. Not just the score, but like the needle drop actual songs. Yeah. Like oh yeah. Like when he's watching her um when you've got him watching her on the, the date with the other coworker and like the lights beaming out of the door when they're standing up there and the music's just starting to swell as he's he can't even look at him, but he's you can tell he's troubled and the music in the movie's so good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, wrapping up another episode of the Midwest Monsters podcast, the Hannibal franchise. I've been one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, been joined by Professor Wagstaff. <laughs> Venomous Vinny. <laughs> Stay scary. <laughs>